Ever wonder what the literature your professor made you read has to do with your life and your world? Oftentimes, it's a lot more than you think. Whether it's a connection to the latest blockbuster or a recent social movement, my guests and I are here to share with you some of the parallels we see between these so-called great works of literature and the modern world. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Salois, a world literature professor at Baruch College in New York City who loves literature, pop culture, and current events. Welcome back to Why Do We Read This? Welcome to the final episode. Yes, you heard that right. Today marks the conclusion of the podcast. I had to go with the literary term as we had an introduction to the podcast back when we started in 2019. I'm wrapping up the podcast because I'm no longer teaching the literature courses that inspired the podcast. I have a new position at Baruch where I'm teaching Latinx studies courses instead. So while I will be ending Why Do We Read This?, I do have a new project in the works, early stages of development right now, that is connected to Latinx studies. So stay subscribed here to be the first to know when it's ready. I'll put announcements out here. It makes me a little sad to end this project as it was my first podcast. It's gone through a number of changes throughout the last couple of years, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm thankful for the experience, honestly. Before we get started, I want to give a special thanks to my original co-host, Andrea. I would not have been able to get this thing off the ground without her. She designed the original logo and was the one that helped finalize the title that we went with. Why do we read this? The titles I was thinking of were way too long, so she helped with being concise. I also wanted to give thanks to all the wonderful guests I had on the podcast over the past year. Beth, Kim, Mishi, Gretchen, Madro. Chris, Ryan, Amina, Amy, my mom, Marsha, my husband, Sean, and my sisters, Brooke, Ashley, Jillian, and Carrie. It was a lot of fun having all of you join me, and I learned so much from all of your perspectives. It's amazing. It always surprises me what people come to the table with, and I'm like, hey, what parallels do you see? And I just love to see what different people come up with. Also, a thanks to my students who have listened to this podcast over the last couple of years and have even created some of their own podcast episodes that I've been able to share with you all. Shout out to my second logo artist, Sam, for your beautiful work. Thanks for making me into a cartoon, I guess. <laughs> and so much appreciation for my husband, Sean, and all of his audio knowledge that really saved my ass more times than I care to admit. I'm lucky to be married to a professional musician. He knows what he's doing, and he knew what to do when I screwed things up along the way. Really helped the learning curve, that's for sure. It's been a while since I did an episode by myself, so I hope you enjoy what I have planned for you all today. As you can tell from the title of the episode, I've finally arrived at Don Quixote. It seemed like the most fitting episode to wrap up with this podcast. I suppose in that way it would support Andrea's argument that literature ends with Don Quixote. But I still insist it's where literature begins. I actually read Don Quixote in 2007. It took me the whole summer of 2007. And I read it in English. It's, it's a pretty intense book and, you know, I wasn't necessarily the fastest reader at the time. I still am not the fastest reader. 
I have actually read sections of it in Spanish. Uh, in fact, I used to teach it to my level four students when I taught high school Spanish. These were generally juniors and seniors. Shout out to all of them, as uh, I'm sure they remember our adventures with Don Quixote. I actually had like a plastic knight costume, um, a giant stuffed horse, and uh, I used to have the students act out different scenes from the book. <laughs> so it was tough, but I'd, I'd like to think I made it fun, or I mean, at least memorable anyway. If you were to ask me, though, what I love most about this book, it I'd say, you know, it's really hard to narrow it down to one thing. But I think overall, it's really Cervantes' ability to blend the serious with the humorous. It's a funny book, but it's also sad. And it's a silly book, but it's also quite critical. And honestly, nothing like it had ever been written before. And that's why I consider it to be the beginning of literature. So in this episode today, you only have me, but I will cover a basic background and summary of Don Quixote. So those of you not familiar will perhaps be inspired to go check it out. I'm going to keep my summary quite short, even though it's a long book, but it's definitely worth checking out. Please, if you if you get to reading it and you and you and you enjoyed it or you didn't, just let me know. You could check it out in any format. I mean, you could read the novel itself in English and Spanish, whatever you're most comfortable with. Any language, really. It's a very widely translated book. You could listen to it as an audio book. There are film adaptations, graphic novels. You know, honestly, whatever you like, just get to know Don Quixote if you don't already. Today, I will be covering a specific parallel, and that has to do with sidekicks. I love a good sidekick. I love a bad sidekick. I just love sidekicks. As my husband, you know, will watch something, and I'll say, guess which character is my favorite? And he can always guess, because it's always the sidekick. I don't know, I just like them more than the hero. I'll go over why sidekicks are so great, um, provide a handful of examples, and then I'm going to compare the duos of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza with Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee from The Lord of the Rings. I'm going to be basing it off of the films for Lord of the Rings, so if you haven't read that but you have seen the, the movies, you'll get what I'm getting at here. And there are tons of duos that I could choose from, but I had to go with this one because of all the hero sidekick duos, these two go on the most epic of adventures. So as I mentioned, I am going to keep the background and summary pretty minimal today as I have no one to split the load with in terms of sharing this information with you all. It's, it's just me here today. So I'm kind of sticking to the content that the Norton Anthology of World Literature gives to my students and um, gathering most of what I'm sharing from that resource. So let's start out with Cervantes. Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra was born in 1547 in Alcalá de Hernares, a university town outside of Madrid. He died on April 23rd, 1616, the exact same day that another quite famous European author, uh, William Shakespeare, might have heard of him, same day that he died. Same day, same year, everything. Little is known of Cervantes' childhood, though 
he is known to have left Spain at around age 22 for Rome in service of a future cardinal of the church. He later enlisted in the Spanish fleet and fought in the Battle of Lepanto against the Ottoman Empire in 1571. This was really one of the bloodiest battles of that time. I, I heard a source somewhere that called it like the D-Day of the 16th century. Cervantes fought through fever, he was shot three times, and he lost the use of his left hand during this battle. Cervantes continued his military service after the Battle of Lepanto, and in 1575 he was captured and held ransom. His freedom was bought by the Viceroy of Algiers, but not until he had spent five years in captivity. So, needless to say, this experience greatly affected Cervantes in both his life and his writing. Cervantes authored 10 to 20 plays, and they were moderately successful-ish. And he published a pastoral romance titled Galatea, among a few other works. But none of this allowed him to live off his writing. Typical. I'm sure many of you writers out there understand what I'm saying. He served demanding and collecting supplies for the Armada, but he was held guilty for irregularities during his administration and imprisoned once again. He later tried to obtain employment in the New World. The New World. Ugh, hate that term, but I've, I've already talked about that in other episodes. But he was denied, and he later served as a tax collector, but again, he was dismissed from this service in 1597. And rumor has it that the idea and planning for Don Quixote came to Cervantes while he was serving his prison term in Sevilla. The novel was published in 1605 and was widely successful, although Cervantes continued to live in poverty. There was shortly thereafter a false sequel that prompted Cervantes to write part two of Don Quixote, which was published in 1615. He died a year later, and it's said that his family could not even afford a headstone for his grave. Now, Cervantes was born into a great empire, right? I mean, Spain had possessions in the Americas, in Italy, in Flanders. They had an enormous army, and the country was ruled by Philip II, a devout Habsburg monarch. Yes, those Habsburgs, the, the ones from Austria. Under Philip II, Spain gained control over the Portuguese crown and their commercial empire around the world. So this really made Spain a global force to be reckoned with. However, Spain had its issues. I mean, I feel like that goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Spain had its issues. The influx of gold from the Americas led to inflation, poverty, and corruption. And some of these issues are reflected in Don Quixote some more subtly than others. Now, military expenses and foreign debt were high. The Spanish crown experienced multiple bankruptcies and implemented high taxes. By 1588, after a Spanish defeat by the English Navy, the Spanish Empire began to decline. I mean, I think this was really like the turning point, maybe. It had been struggling all along, but this was sort of maybe the beginning of the end. Ten years later, Philip II died, ending an era. Now, during this time, there was also an increased emphasis on religion and suspicions of those who did not follow the Christian faith as practiced in Spain, Catholicism in particular. This specifically targeted counter-reformationists and former Jews and Muslims who had converted to Christianity 
and it eventually led to the forced expulsion of the Moriscos, that is, Muslims that had converted to Christianity. And this took place in 1609. To quote a discovery video about Don Quixote that I used to show in class, these were the days of the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, that Spanish Inquisition. Now, Don Quixote is often described as the first European novel, and it was an instant success. Although, perhaps it was not instantly recognized as a highly important work of literature. However, even today, it is the second most translated book in all of history, behind only the Christian Bible. Now, the reason for its popularity was likely in part because it deviated from the popular literary genres of the time. The epic, the tragedy, the pastoral romance. It kind of combined all of these ideas and more into one work while addressing serious issues hidden beneath a humorous service. The supposed purpose of the book was to satirize the romances of chivalry. You know, books about knights and damsels in distress, that King Arthur, deeds of valor unlikely adventures, duels, magic, that sort of thing. It was meant to be a parody, but it did so much more than that. Through Don Quixote, Cervantes examined the difficult realities of his own time. So they were blended together with these sort of humorous adventures that Don Quixote went on. Honestly, it's impossible to summarize Don Quixote so succinctly, but... Basically, the story centers around the adventures of a lower nobleman, uh, known as an Hidalgo in Spanish, and he's from La Mancha. His real name is Alonso Quijano, although in the beginning the narrator acts as though his name is of so little consequence that even he can't remember it. And this, this older gentleman, Alonso Quijano, Don Quixote, right? he reads so many chivalric romances that he loses his mind and he decides to become a knight errant. Or, you know, a wandering knight. He's joined by a simple farmer named Sancho Panza, who serves as his squire on the adventures that they take throughout the countryside. Now, the big thing in the first part of the novel is that Don Quixote does not see the world as it is, but instead prefers to live as though he truly is a knight. Some of the the more well-known delusions that Don Quixote experiences include, you know, seeing country inns as castles, or sex workers as ladies-in-waiting, flocks of sheep as great armies, and of course, the most famous of his delusions, Don Quixote sees windmills as giants that he must fight in battle. There are so many layers to Don Quixote, and I really wish I could get into them in more detail, but it would take me forever, and again, since I'm doing this episode on my own, I'm going to try and keep it short. But you should definitely check it out. You'll laugh. You'll cry you'll have your life changed by this amazing text. All right, so let's dig into the parallel, right? Sidekicks. Ugh, love them. Love them. What is a sidekick and when do we see them? Well, by definition, a, a sidekick is a person's assistant or close associate, especially one who has less authority than the main protagonist. This individual supports the hero because the hero always needs some form of support. It's not the same as a confidant or a friend, but it can be those things as well. Generally, 
Sidekicks are used in quest stories, thrillers, spy novels, adventure stories. No, and Don Quixote and Lord of the Rings are both adventure stories and quests. I mean, the epitome of quests. So I was looking up examples of different protagonist sidekick duos. And the first ones that really always seem to pop up are pretty much all male. Right? A male hero, male psychic. I don't know what that says. I mean, we have, I'll get to some other examples with women in them, but sort of the top protagonist psychic duos that came to my mind as I was brainstorming were Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, Batman and Robin, Calvin and Hobbes, Han Solo and Chewbacca, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, Shrek and Donkey. I mean, <laughs> those. Those are all male duos. Occasionally we will see female sidekicks, right? I don't I don't know, maybe they're like attempts at feminism. And usually when we have female sidekicks, she's always portrayed as like this hyper-competent woman. And even if she's intellectually superior, usually when we get to the end, they, they like need the male protagonist and ugh. I roll. But some examples of that might include Trinity from The Matrix, Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy, Wildstyle from the Lego movie, Princess Leia. At least in the original Star Wars trilogy, she was sort of given a more uh, a more well-developed character in the the later films. And honestly, most Doctor Who companions, right? There are occasionally female duos that come to mind, although maybe not so much in the adventure quest. Uh, they're often portrayed as equals, though, rather than hero sidekick dynamic, right? Like Kate and Maura from Sisters that we covered in episode nine. Thelma and Louise. Lorelai and Rory from Gilmore Girls, right? They're, there's not really one who you would label as the, the hero protagonist and the other as the sidekick. But that doesn't mean there aren't any female duos where we have sidekicks. I mean, Buffy and Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is probably my favorite example. We also see Jessica Jones and Trish Walker from the Jessica Jones comics and television series. Leslie Nope and Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec. And maybe going back a little bit further, a duo like Lucy and Ethel from I Love Lucy. So you can see female duos with sidekicks do exist, but they aren't the first ones that pop into mind for most people. And, and I just think that's something we need to think more about. You know, we need more female duos that are hero sidekick based. All right. Well, let's get let's get into Lord of the Rings. And again, we're talking about the films. If you haven't seen them, I don't, go watch them. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you or read the books. This is going to be a super quick synopsis because I'm going to make the assumption that many of you are familiar with uh, the story of Lord of the Rings. Basically, the future of Middle-earth rests on the fate of this one ring, right, that has been lost for centuries. And powerful forces are searching for it unrelentingly. Fate has placed the ring in the hands of Frodo Baggins, a young hobbit from the Shire, who inherits the ring from his second cousin once removed or something like that, but from Bilbo Baggins. 
And Bilbo acquired the ring in his younger days. Go read The Hobbit. And read The Hobbit. Please don't watch the films. Listen, Lord of the Rings, the film's amazing. The Hobbit, not an epic, not meant to be three films. Should have been one. I have opinions. <laughs> anyway, Frodo is tasked with destroying the ring, right? He needs to throw it into the fires of Mount Doom, where it was forged, before it falls into the hands of basically anyone else, because anyone else who bears the ring will be easily corrupted by the power of this ring. And there are many, many individuals that aid Frodo during his journey, but none as much as Samwise Gamgee, another hobbit who accompanies Frodo on his journey to Mount Doom. I love Samwise. Just, just my favorite. So they, you know, throughout the three films, they are together. They go through ups and downs. Samwise is sort of a voice of reason. We'll, we'll get into the details of how he fits this traditional sidekick role for Frodo. There are really, th there are a lot of reasons. We're going to get into a bunch of reasons, but let's start with three core reasons to have a sidekick. Relief, perspective, and tension. Sidekick characters provide all of these things. Relief is when this character is able to provide comic relief. There's someone with whom the reader can identify, especially when the protagonist is, you know, an anti-hero, a maverick, or an isolated individual. And in both of our stories for today, the two heroes are isolated individuals. Yes, Don Quixote is definitely isolated, and, and a maverick of sorts. So Sancho gives us the humor when Don Quixote is serious. And he gives us the serious when Quixote comes across as absurd. And Frodo is also isolated, right? Even if it's not by choice. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't an isolated character to begin the story. But his job as the ring bearer is something that will isolate him. Samwise sticks with him. Samwise gives us... He gives us the lighter side of the situation whenever possible. He's funny because he's not really the sort to go on an adventure like this. I always think, like, he has the best lines, too, you know? Potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. I mean, those are the kind of things that just stayed with me after I watched the movies. All right, now, I also said sidekicks provide us with perspective. They provide a different way of behaving with the protagonist than other characters. This helps readers' connection to or understanding of the protagonist. It helps the protagonist come across as more likable. I mean, this is definitely Sancho. Sancho is the only one who goes along with Quixote's plans. He provides a voice of reason. I mean, at least on occasion or in relation to Don Quixote. And he helps others give Quixote a break now and again, right? He, he's like, you know, just cut him a little slag. He's mm, not really right in the head. Sam also provides perspective. He's the only one who does not see Frodo as a tool to achieve a goal. Well, Frodo is overall pretty likable. I mean, just like Don Quixote. There are times when we really wouldn't understand him or his journey or his actions without Sam there. And third, sidekicks provide tension. They offer the chance for disagreements that are not life-threatening. 
They can argue with the protagonist or make suggestions about the journey. And there may be the one person that the hero will listen to or the one person that the hero won't outright reject because of this opposing perspective. This is Sancho. Without Sancho, I mean, would Don Quixote eat, sleep, or even take care of himself? They argue over what Don Quixote sees versus what Sancho knows is there. And Sancho makes suggestions as to whether or not they should battle with others or windmills or whatever. And it definitely fits for Sam, too. We have Gollum's Smeagol character, right? And he's a great example of a source of tension between Sam and Frodo. Because Sam doesn't trust Gollum, Smeagol, whoever he is in that moment. He suggests that he and Frodo leave the former Hobbit behind. And this, I mean, this does cause a temporary separation between the two characters. But in the end, Sam knows that he needs to be faithful to Frodo. That is, that's just who he is. Uh, so when he discovers the crumbs of the elven bread that Gollum had thrown over the ledge, he knows that Frodo's in danger and he returns to him. So those are sort of the three core purposes of a sidekick, but there are a few others that I want to dig into as well. Sidekicks serve as foil characters. Now, a foil character is someone who contrasts with another character, usually the protagonist, to highlight qualities of that other character. So it could be a sidekick or a rival. Uh, in this case, it's the sidekicks. It might make the hero more likable or at least humanize them for the reader or the audience. So while Don Quixote has other foils, um, namely Sanson Carrasco in part two, Sancho is his main foil in part one of the novel. They contrast physically as well as mentally. Don Quixote is tall. Sancho is short. Don Quixote is thin gaunt even well Sancho is heavy Don Quixote is the quote-unquote intellectual <laughs> okay maybe well Sancho is a peasant but Sancho can sometimes be the voice of reason when Don Quixote cannot and that's that's key Quixote needs this contrasting voice of reason in Lord of the Rings Sam is Frodo's foil when Frodo is melancholic and even fatalistic at times, Sam is the pragmatic and optimistic one. I mean, he's just great. I just sing Samwise praises all day long. Sidekicks aid the cause. They fill in gaps in the protagonist's abilities by lending unique skills and insights and by having knowledge or skills that the protagonist needs. The hero likely couldn't succeed or achieve their goal without the help of the sidekick. The hero gets the glory in the end. Sancho takes care of Don Quixote when he's injured and makes sure that he eats. Uh, through his own desire to eat, of course, but you know, whatever works. There are many times when Don Quixote would not have survived without Sancho's aid. He tries to avoid conflict at all costs, but is there to pick up the pieces when Don Quixote goes down. He's just a good egg. Sam and Frodo need the other to get the job done. Sam's not the hero, so Frodo has to carry the ring. But as Samwise says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Oh, tears. Love him so much. Anyway, Frodo must bring the ring to Mount Doom, but he would never have gotten there if it weren't for Samwise Gamgee. 
No one can convince me otherwise. Sidekicks provide encouragement. They remind the protagonist of their why. That is, their reason for doing what they're doing. And this may be done with humor on occasion, but is often a device used to temper the extreme behaviors of the hero. When Don Quixote is in battle and Sancho is standing off to the side, you know, Sancho's one to always avoid conflict, and honestly, same. In part one, Sancho mostly tries to talk Don Quixote out of his battles, but later, with promises of wealth running in his head, he encourages Don Quixote to win. And for my example from Lord of the Rings, I'm just going to read a couple of quotes here. First is, there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. I mean, Sam is a relatively sheltered and good hobbit, but he's always a soft and caring presence for Frodo. There's also this interaction between the two. Frodo says, Mordor, I hope the others find a safer road. Sam, Strider will look after them. Frodo, I don't suppose we'll ever see them again. Sam, we may yet, Mr. Frodo, we may. Frodo, Sam, I'm glad you're with me. Even Frodo knows that he needs Sam. Oh, try not to cry. I just love them so much. But they know that they need one another, and, and that's a little bit different than Don Quixote and Sancho, where Don Quixote doesn't necessarily recognize that he needs Sancho, but he certainly needs him. Sidekicks create secondary tension. They're there to complicate the journey or alter the story. Even if they mean to help, sometimes they get in the way or cause new or different problems for the hero. I mean, Sancho asks Don Quixote questions that he often does not want to answer, mostly because he's never thought about how to answer them. You know, things like what to do about food or where to sleep. He also questions each and every battle, becoming the voice of reason against Don Quixote's madness. And again, with a quote from Lord of the Rings, Frodo says, Go back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. Sam, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. Right, this puts some pressure on Frodo to keep Sam safe, but it works to his benefit because Sam also keeps him safe. Sidekicks are used to confront the hero. Sometimes they need to urge the protagonist to reconsider their actions or offer candid perspectives on a given situation. I mean, you know, like, hey, those aren't giants, they're windmills. That's not an army, it's a flock of sheep. Hey, maybe we shouldn't look for a fight, but only battle when we need to. Right? When Don Quixote wants to seek vengeance upon the one who injures him, Sancho is able to talk him out of it by saying the following. But let me remind your grace that if the knight fulfills that which was commanded of him by going to present himself before my lady Dulcinea del Toboso, then he will have paid his debt to you and merits no further punishment at your hands unless it be for some fresh offense. So this is how Sancho is the voice of reason, even if he's not completely reasonable himself. In Lord of the Rings, while Frodo doesn't always listen, Sam is the one to call out Gollum while he's sneaking around and trying to steal the ring. Frodo has sympathy for Gollum. And as an audience, we might not completely understand that, so we are Sam in this moment. It gives Frodo a chance to explain why he believes that Gollum deserves his sympathies. Without Sam around, we just have to make assumptions. 
sidekicks deepen the story. They reveal details about the story or the world in which the story takes place. They can offer another perspective on the world and those within that world. Sancho has a family. He knew Don Quixote his whole life, and, and he helps ground the world in which Don Quixote comes from, you know, rather than the world in which Don Quixote imagines himself. Sam brings further insight into the world of the hobbits. He has a love interest. He has dreams and goals for a life in the Shire. He shows us some of the ways in which the entire world is not their journey. It goes beyond their journey. And finally, sidekicks help the audience. They learn the lesson that was intended for the audience. This helps clarify themes and issues within the story and moves the story along. Overall, it adds an element of fun to the story. I mean, let's be honest. Well, all of Don Quixote is great. It, it does get better in Chapter 7 when we meet Sancho. His contrast with the hero gives us so much more to the story, and his riding through the countryside on a donkey with the dream of becoming the governor of an island is just fun and silly. And in Lord of the Rings, it wasn't just about bringing the ring to Mount Doom. This is a story of friendship and loyalty and perseverance, and I would argue that Sam embodies that better than any character. But, you know, of course I have a bias and a weakness for sidekicks. Plus, as I mentioned, he's got some great one-liners. I mean, what's your favorite Samwise Gamgee line? If you've read Don Quixote, what's your favorite thing about Sancho Panza? These are amazing characters, and the stories would not be half as well-developed as they are if it weren't for Sancho and Samwise. Sidekicks. A conclusion. The sidekicks really are the heroes. Well, in their own ways, anyway. Again, I may be biased because I do really love a good sidekick, but I find these characters equally as important as the protagonist, and I think that you should too. Final, final thoughts. Wow, I can't believe this is the final, final thoughts. At least for this podcast. Well, you know, other things that we could have discussed. With Don Quixote, the possibilities are endless. Well, this may be the last episode, I'd still love to hear what current issues or pop culture you think of when you think of Don Quixote. We could have also talked about Don Quixote adaptations, from graphic novels to abridged versions to plays like Man of La Mancha. So many fan works have come out of Cervantes' masterwork. What do you think? Share thoughts with us. Can you think of any real-world Quixotes? What is it about them that gives you that quixotic vibe? And who are your favorite hero sidekick duos? What do you see that they have in common with Don Quixote and Sancho? And while the podcast is ending, you can still follow us on social media. I'll be making announcements on the accounts about my upcoming podcast projects. You can still find me on Twitter at Why Do We Read This and on Instagram at WDWRT underscore podcast. You can continue to send messages there or email why do we read this at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcast. Again, this may be the last episode, but there will be announcements and trailers for the upcoming projects that I'm working on, and I'm going to share them through this podcast. Now's as good a time as any to share us with your friends and family. Let them listen to 40 episodes of literature and pop culture goodness. And I still encourage you to leave a five-star review. It will help other people find the podcast going forward. 
So to wrap up this final episode of Why Do We Read This, I'll leave you with my ever-faithful words of wisdom. Question all the things. Thanks for joining me on this ride, everybody. 